0: It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Ether
1: and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Discord. Links in the description. This week's topic, vampires.
0: All right, just in time for Halloween. Love the ending. (laughs) (laughs) You like like that
1: (laughs) that drum hit, huh? I like it. Before we get into this week's episode, it's time for Strange Events. Bizarre facts. The unbelievable revealed. This is the mind boggle of the week. Meteors attack. Is it possible for a meteor to hit somebody? On November 30th, 1954, Anne Hodges, while minding her own business, was viciously attacked by a meteorite. She was taking a nap on her couch in Scylla. Uh, S Y L A C U A G A? Guga? whatever, Alabama, Wow! <laughs> when the nine-pound perpetrator blew a hole through her roof, bounced off her radio, and struck the hapless woman on the thigh, causing a nasty bruise. This is the only meteorite attack in recorded history. However, recently there was another near attack. On October 3rd, 2021, Ruth Hamilton was innocently sleeping in her bed in golden British Columbia, when she was attacked by a meteorite. Lucky for her, this particular ruffian had bad aim and missed her head by mere inches, landing on her pillow. But this recent attack offers a pattern. Unscrupulous space rocks appear to attack defenseless women in their sleep. What can be done? The humanity! If you are a sleeping woman, beware the skies. Alright, and now it's time for this week's topic. Vampires. I I'd
0: just like to mention that you can get additional insurance in case your home or persons are struck by a meteorite. I already pay for home insurance. It doesn't yeah. cover meteorites? No, that's like an act of God clause, but you can get additional insurance, so you might want to consider it.
1: Oh, that's so stupid. If you have, If it's insured, it should be insured, in my opinion. I mean, you're already paying for the insurance, right?
0: Yeah, I guess, but it's like earthquake insurance or something. You know, they want you to pay extra.
1: I guess. How often does it happen, though? They they should just cover it.
0: Hey, I bet that uh, rock, though. I bet that's worth a fortune.
1: Yeah, I forgot the exact number, but uh, the the one that was recent in October of this you know this month, just a you know couple days ago, actually, that one. I think they said it was seven pounds or something, and it's worth I don't know, probably like one hundred fifty thousand dollars.
0: I would sell that like
1: yesterday. I believe the woman said she wants to keep it as a souvenir.
0: have it like in case well she better get insurance on it
1: yeah right yeah not announce where it is In case a real ruffian comes by and steals it yeah (laughs) but most if somebody broke into a house i don't think most people would even know what that was yeah
0: but now she's going to be targeted
1: yeah well they didn't give out her particulars just her name i guess it wouldn't be too hard to find her though all right so this week's episode i believe uh agent so agent eta is slacking this week. He's not here. Agent Krueger is going to show up any minute. We'll see when he's here, maybe 5-10 uh, minutes. And while we're getting on the topic, Agent Ether is actually going to start with some of the history of vampires.
0: Yeah, this was really interesting. You know, I'm more of a modern vampire gal, big fan of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the 90s. Good show. I think it's aged well.
1: I saw that show, and it seemed to have potential. I, I loved the movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. But pretty much right away, she starts dating a vampire, and I was like, "What is this crap? You don't, you don't date Frankenstein, you don't date <laughs> the Wolfman, and you don't date the vampire." It just, I don't know. You know, they, you they would lost think me.
0: you would think this came out of nowhere, but historically, especially uh, in fiction, this this is a common theme. And I'm not talking about modern fiction; I'm talking about Victorian fiction as well.
1: Okay, so they weren't always just monsters.
0: That's right. That's very true. I think they've always been a little romanticized.
1: All right, well, why don't you tell us all about it?
0: Well, first I'd like to talk about the uh, history, the the history specifically in the 17th century.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: (laughs) All right. The name vampire didn't actually exist before then. I mean, in ancient times you had spirits and they would suck your blood or your life essence, but it really wasn't the same as a vampire.
1: Yeah, there's actually a, a lot of cultures have things that suck your blood demons or whatever, like the chupacabra that we've talked about recently Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, from what I read, none of them are quite like the vampire.
0: So we're going to concentrate more on the modern vampire, so to speak, that came out of uh, Eastern Europe and they all have some features in common drinking blood with their sharp fangs. They're actually undead that rise from the graves some similarities is they can't cast reflections or shadows. And I read that's because they have no souls.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't
0: know that. You know, almost everybody knows that they, you can't see their reflection, but apparently it's because they have no souls. They are unholy beings.
1: Okay. Yeah, I had no idea where that came from. It was just something you take for granted because it's in all the movies.
0: So when you say Eastern Europe, we're talking about like Hungary And Poland. And this is a time when you still had a lot of superstition among the populace, even though science was kind of being developed, especially in in these areas. And so you get these rumors of an upier or vampire, I think it's Slavic, for a bloodsucker, kind of like El Chibacabra is goat sucker. This literally means bloodsucker. Okay. So the earliest literature we have that cites these haupiers or vampires was this genteel literary journal, the Galant, in 1693. And what it was, was a series of documents detailing the goings on in Eastern Europe, specifically what the native people were saying about these vampires. And one of the authors in the journal was Desnoyers, who was the former secretary to the Queen of Poland. And he said that, and I quote, it seems this revived being comes out of the grave or a demon of his likeness and goes by night to embrace friends and relations. It then sucks their blood to weaken them and at last cause death. And the universal solution, of course, is to drive a stake through the heart, but also might be beheading, burning, spreading the ashes in the river, and stuffing, of course, the mouthful of garlic.
1: Gross.
0: (laughs) In seventeen forty six, the vampire really became popularized because of the writings of Don Augustine Calmet. He was a French monk, and he wrote this lengthy dissertation upon the apparitions of angels, demons, and ghosts, and concerning the vampires of Eastern Europe, And really what he was trying to do is take all this local folklore and the sightings and apply a scientific method to them. So not necessarily assume they were real, but keep an open mind, look at the information that was being presented, and maybe come to a conclusion other than, you know, it was just these locals and their superstitions so he really, his goal wasn't to encourage superstition, but to find, he said, reasonable men who could examine the contents without prejudice in an objective way. Wow,
1: I wish we had more of that nowadays.
0: <laughs> he defined the characteristics of a vampire, specifically someone who returned from the grave to suck blood, and he gathered as many accounts as he could of eyewitness statements and official reports. So, then he'd give his opinion on the encounter, but the majority of his work is simply a collection of stories.
1: Hmm, interesting. So, it was sort of a scientific approach.
0: It really was, yeah. And it was mostly just, you know, this collection of stories uh, that, that he found over the years, and it was quickly translated into other languages from French, and it spawned a bunch of writing and fiction and would... Uh, end up introducing the masses to vampires and it's pretty much considered the origin story and the first literature about vampires.
1: Hmm, Interesting. Yeah,
0: nothing romantic there, you know, kind of just reporting. Almost like, you know, old reporter or something, like he's a reporter. Right. So, in one of the incidences he reports on is in Serbia in 1732, Arnold Pole was rumored to have been attacked years before that by a vampire in Turkey. And then when he died, over the period of three months, 17 villagers would die. So 40 days after his death, the villagers dug up his body, and it was undecayed. There was blood flowing from his ears and mouth, so they staked his heart and buried him upside down.
1: I don't think that's normal.
0: (laughs) Which part?
1: (laughs) All of it. None of it. None of it is normal.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing is, if you think about the body when it decays, so I didn't know a lot about this. I'm not a forensic expert, and I don't watch those kind of shows on TV. I don't really enjoy those kinds of shows. But I guess when the body decays, initially there's like this rigor mortis where it gets all stiff, but over time, the body actually relaxes and it's not stiff anymore and then it will bloat up. And then I guess these the red blood cells will burst and so it gives like the face this reddish appearance almost like it's flushed. Um, in addition, you know, it, it seems the fingernails can grow but what it really is is the skin shrinking and pulling back the fingers from the nails giving the appearance of nail growth. So, all these things combine, you have these villagers, and they don't really know about this process. And they expect when they open up the coffin to see this, you know, decaying body, and they don't see that.
1: I don't like it. I don't (laughs) like any of that. In fact, I think I want to be cremated after hearing that.
0: (laughs) I actually am a firm believer in cremation. You know, the planet only has so much room, and graveyards take up a large amount of space so i'm just like spread my ashes donate my body spread my ashes that's what kind of gal i am
1: well you can't be a vampire if you're cremated right
0: i don't want to be a vampire i'm good
1: yeah because you don't have a soul right thirsty all the time you know and hawthorn bushes apparently are bad
0: speaking of which did you know you cannot sell your soul on ebay
1: i saw that actually <laughs> i saw that in the news yeah
0: They consider it a part of the body, and it's strictly against their policy to sell body parts on eBay.
1: Ah, man, that's messed up. How do you think kids are supposed to pay for college nowadays? You know, it's so expensive. They got to sell something.
0: Would you sell your soul on eBay?
1: No, I'm using it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see what else I have here. So I have another account in Prussia in 1591. And just as a side note, my family was actually from Prussia. Wow. Yeah. Not all of them, but some. A couple of them. (laughs) A couple of them. A shoemaker committed suicide and became a ghost, then smothered people in their beds. On opening his grave, they found his body swollen, as if engorged with blood, and new skin seemed to have grown on the feet. So they hacked off his head, took out his heart, burned everything to ashes, and threw it in the water.
1: That's rude.
0: That's thorough. That is a thorough job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's not necessarily a vampire story. It's most of the, mostly a ghost story, but it illustrates the point that the villagers really had little knowledge of advanced decay and the lengths they would go to to, you know, appease their superstitions and worries.
1: Yeah. Hold on just a second. It looks like Agent Kruger is here. Let's invite him to speak.
0: Awesome.
1: What's going on, Agent Kruger? Welcome. Oh, look, uh, Titus, who's from Indonesia, says, in Indonesia, we have Kuyang. They sucked the blood of baby, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like there was, there's a lot of places around the world with, uh, with things that are similar to vampires, although the classical Western vampire is is fairly specific. But anyways, okay. So why don't you uh, continue on with your history there, Agent Ether?
0: In Eastern Europe during this time, vampires were a serious concern. This was considered an epidemic. People were really worried and afraid, and I think part of the reason why is because blood is considered the source of life, so these vampires were taking life from the villagers in a very specific way. Uh, In 1734, the word vampire would actually enter the English language in the Oxford Dictionary, a prenatural being of malignant nature in the original and usual form of the belief, a reanimated corpse supposed to seek nourishment or do harm by sucking the blood of sleeping persons—a man or woman abnormally endowed with similar habits—in <laughs> the dictionary. Well
1: endowed, wow. huh? Hey, yeah. The uh, the from? language used there is sort of sort of sus, right? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Susperilla. Barilla. just a little bit.
0: Uh, and uh, after this time, so we have this epidemic of vampires, we have this folklore that is coming out and kind of spreading from Eastern Europe into other parts of Europe. And people in other parts of Europe also start to get concerned. There's sightings further and further away from you know Poland and Prussia and these places. And at some point, people began to get so nervous that they hired vampire hunters. So this is a real thing. They were well-educated and distinguished men, such as doctors and lawyers and philosophers. They would resign or take sabbaticals from colleges, and they'd travel around Eastern Europe visiting villages to find and kill vampires.
1: Ooh. (laughs) That's a crazy job right there. Yeah,
0: I don't know if they found any. I couldn't find many accounts. I'll say,
2: I would imagine it's a lot like the witch hunters back in the day, yeah. right? So if you just look like, had any little inkling of a, uh, like, oh, you know what? He's a vampire. He looks young and he's about, what, 30? Yeah, kill him.
0: Well, I feel like this wasn't much time after what? The Inquisition or the witch hunts or. You know, there's a lot of superstitious. Yeah, stuff that's going what I mean. Yeah, time. like those
2: subtle like things that people would freak out. It's like if you would use aloe vera on a wound. It's like, oh no, witch, it's witch, witch. <laughs> witch. She
1: turned me into a newt.
0: <laughs> I got better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Best witch ever.
0: So they had these kits that they would use, and they would include things like a crucifix, mallet, and stake. Holy water, wafer crackers, a rosary, pistol, maybe a rope.
2: Wafer
1: crackers. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know they're the um they're the ones from the from the church. What do they do in the Catholic oh, church? Oh yeah, the,
1: the Catholic yeah they use. Uh, I don't know exactly how that works, but yeah, they do use those for something. I'm not sure what.
0: Yeah, they. It's like the it's to body. Receive I think communion. it's the body of Christ. It's yeah. the body of Christ. It's yeah. the body of Christ, and then the wine's considered the, the blood. blood of Christ. Yeah. Right.
1: So, so, what you're telling me is that all Catholics are vampires.
0: Uh, no, basically. actually, I'm, I'm telling you the opposite. So, as the vampires started to creep into Europe and also American culture, there was this interesting relationship between the Catholic Church and vampire myth. Uh, because a lot of people considered the vampire to be real, something to fear, instead of ignoring or condemning this belief, the Catholic Church declared it was a work- of the devil using the dead for evil purposes. So they enforce this belief that vampires were real.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. So there's a relationship in in the Catholic church, uh, not only between blood and life, but holy life. And so a vampire is actually an abomination. Eternal life is offered by the Catholic church, but it's also offered by the undead. And the vampire would permeate into religion in general and eventually make its way around the world.
1: Although the, the two versions of eternal life offered there, I mean, somebody's getting the short end of the stick and it ain't the Catholics. <laughs>
0: no, that's what I'm saying though. Yeah. You know, that's why the Catholics viewed it as being unholy and an abomination is because the vampire could offer this uh, uh, immortal life, but at, in exchange for your soul.
1: Right, okay, I got you. You're
0: soulless or you're a demon. That's kind of the idea behind a vampire. So you can kind of see how the vampire is evolving over time.
1: Right, okay.
0: So moving into the 1800s, we have the first fictional work of publication, The Vampire in 1819 by John William Polidori, And in the plot, there's an orphan, a wealthy gentleman, Aubrey. He meets Lord Ruthven at a social gala, and they travel around Europe together until Aubrey learns that Lord Ruthven has seduced a daughter of a mutual friend. Very frowned upon.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Dun. (laughs) So, he leaves
0: and travels to Greece, where he falls in love with Ionthe, or Ionthe. And she tells him about the legend of the vampire, and then she's killed.
1: Don, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, you know, Aubrey's very sad. He's not quite sure what's going on. And then he runs into Ruthven, just, you know, coincidentally, and they travel together once more. And while they're traveling, they're attacked by bandits. And on his deathbed, as he's lying there in the road, Ruthven makes... Aubrey promised that he will not say anything of his death for a year and a day. Hmm. So he he says, "All right, I will, you know, obey your wishes." So he gets back to uh, London, I think, and he finds Ruthven living under a new identity. So he died; he saw him die, but he gets back to London. He's a, a nervous wreck. He finds out this guy is engaged to his sister.
2: Hey, <laughs> wait up now. What a twist.
1: What a twist. Very yeah, gothic. What a twist. Right? Very gothic. Yeah.
0: And uh, so the story goes on, and, and the doctors just assume he's a lunatic at this point and he can't say anything. He promised he wouldn't say anything, right? But it's not just his promise. He literally can't say anything. He's kind of under the what thrall. It's at the thrall of the, of the vampire. He's under a spell. Yeah. And he can't say anything. And his sister gets married to him exactly one year after his death. And he begs his sister. He's like, just wait one more day and I can tell you everything. One more day. And uh, that night on her wedding night, she's found dead with her throat ripped open. No. <gasps> yes. Uh. Now this, this is actually a short story. Uh, I think it was like 30 pages. I read it. It was very entertaining.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a good story, actually. It wasn't actually. a bad
0: story. It was a little wordy, as stories of the time were. Like, the English language was a really, uh, little different back then.
1: Well, and they used... If you read anything from, like, the 1800s in general, they used a very, I don't know, flowery language. Right. And they used words back then that we, we don't really use the same way. Like, for example, one time I was reading an Edgar Allan Poe story for uh, for a college class And they use words like, let's say dilate, for example, right? And it's kind of throws you for a loop because a character might say, or they might be talking about a character who's dilating upon something, which means expanding upon something, right? That means they're talking about it in length, but nobody, I've never heard anybody say that somebody's dilating upon something. It just, the way they use words, it seems awkward to us because we're not used to it. It's, it's a throwback, you know?
0: Well, luckily there were some footnotes. Yes. Kind of to help me. Guide me through this process.
1: So, what was the name of that story?
0: It was The Vampire.
1: The Vampire. Okay. But it was
0: spelled different. Hold on, let me look. It's with like a Y or something.
1: V A M P Y R E? Y Y R E. Okay.
0: Yeah. Y R E in 1819.
1: And I'm sure that's in the public domain by now. And you can. Yes,
0: that's where I read it online, public domain.
1: Everybody can find it online if they're interested. And there's also a really cool website. I think they also have an app. It's called LibriVox. L-I-B-R-I-V-O-X, I think it's spelled. And they have uh, amateur voice actors or people trying to get experience or anybody who's just a hobbyist, they read audiobooks of public domain stuff like, um, like this story, for example. So I guarantee, well, I don't guarantee, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't on Librivox. But you can go there and you can download all this stuff for free if you want to listen to something in the car, if you want to listen to like books and stuff old-timey type stuff, you know, Edgar Allan Poe or whatever?
0: Uh, YouTube as well has a lot of uh, readings, audio readings. And usually, you know, (laughs) I saw one and it was a reading and there's this woman and she's dressed up like a vampire and around her there's like skulls and, and burning candles and, you know, dark pictures on the walls. And she's like... Really getting into what she's reading, and that she's providing uh, commentaries, like uh, social commentary as well, about the time and how it influenced culture and that sort of thing.
1: Oh, that's cool. You know, you got to appreciate the the effort put into that kind of stuff, and also the the commentary is interesting because you might have something in the story, like let's say I don't know, just just to think of something random, like a character picks up a, a small, you know, paperweight of a pig or something. But that could be a specific reference to a specific politician of the day that would have been known to the average person. And, you know, in our day, we are not aware of that stuff. So, the context becomes completely lost and it doesn't make any sense to us. So, the, you know, historians or people who are aware of the historical context, you know, their commentary can be very valuable to understanding the story. Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. This story would influence, like, the entire era, like, the next let's say, 100 years. It ran through numerous editions and translations, and it permeated society. People were really excited about this story, and it spawned novels and plays and later films and would set the stage for the most famous story of them all. Everybody knows.
2: Dracula. Dracula. Dracula.
0: Dracula. But I do want to discuss, um, before we discuss Dracula, let me see, I have... Two more things to discuss, I think. All right, let's do it. Before Dracula, because I'd like to go in like chronological order. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. It makes sense. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the Blood Countess, Elizabeth Bathory. Have you guys heard of Elizabeth?
1: Elizabeth. No, but I have heard the word.
0: Well, shout out to a friend of mine who suggested I look her up.
1: And the word is bird, by the way. What? No. (laughs) Bird.
0: Uh, Elizabeth Bathory was a serial killer who, between 1590 and 1609, killed over 650 people.
1: Dang!
0: Yeah. And and they were all very young young women from uh, either her household, like servants, or from the local villages.
1: Dang, that must have been, the men in that village must have been very lonely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and she, apparently
2: she's the inspiration for Lady... Uh, Oh man, the lady in Resident Evil, oh. the newest one. If anyone plays that, so oh really, she's the tall countess. What's the, I always have a hard time pronouncing her last name,
1: Dimitris? The last Dimitris. Resident Ooh. Evil I played was uh. number two, and I thought that uh, that was an excellent game. But well, no, that's not true. Then I played Resident Evil Zero, and I did not like that one. It just I don't know. It just didn't seem to have the same feel to it for me. And it kind of I kind of lost interest in the series after that.
2: Uh, yeah, it was Resident Evil Village, the Village. newest one that just came out. Okay. Oh, it's pretty good, yeah. It's the second, like, first person. It's number seven in the – or it's a sequel, so it's eight, actually, my bad. So it was after Biohazard. Uh, Cat Agent ETA is a big fan of Biohazard. I'll have to but, check uh, yeah, that out. No, hey, let's move on, yeah. It's definitely worth a check out, so sorry to derail us.
1: Nah, that, that's not a derailing –
0: no, that, that was not a derailing. Because <laughs> we're right back on topic. All right, so I won't go into detail. I don't enjoy horror, like Saw, like those movies, you know, and anything with blood and gore. That just is not up my alley. I like watching stuff that's like floofy and fun.
1: <laughs> Did you like The Descent?
0: I don't remember The Descent.
1: The caves and the, the people? Oh, uh, no.
0: Yeah. The
1: blind people in the caves? Yeah. That one was so damn creepy. <laughs> too creepy. I do not uh, like that movie. I mean, it was great. It well, was a great horror movie, but man, it was creepy. Creeped me right it, out. Is Dracula too
2: out there for you, Agent Ether? No, like, no, Dracula's, it? Dracula's was, fine.
0: R- it's, right. it's more well, gothic. How about Bram
2: Stoker's, the the most popular one, I would say? Or Would you say it's most popular? It's Bram definitely Stoker's. the most well-known. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I actually didn't
0: want to talk about right. it. I told Agent Anderson, I was like, you know, it's it's been done. You talk about it. I'm way more interested in like the stuff I don't know. Yeah, that's what oh, I yeah. want to
1: research. Well, I found plenty of that I did not know about uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula as well,
0: which you will talk about eventually. Eventually, yeah. when I'm finally done. Anyways, so what I was saying is is I don't want to get into all her torture methods. They were pretty gruesome and I had to read about them and at some point I was like, I don't want to know about this. This is horrific. So she would, for example, she had like this what are they called iron maidens with the Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah the
2: spikes like a, you know, sarcophagus with spikes the in it.
0: Spikes in them, but she called it like the virgin maiden because it was shaped like a woman. Uh, uh, and she'd I, like, put the women in there, and she would drain their blood and bathe in it. Uh, she, she probably had, thought
2: she was taking her their youth,
0: yeah, exactly. And this is the first uh, time that this idea came about that there was this relationship between blood and youth. And that would later be a theme, I think, in in Dracula that from, you know from this this blood, you can retain your your youthfulness. So, it, you know, she was said to be quite beautiful, but of course you age over time. And at some point she decided it might be a good idea to drink it as well.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And when she was done with these victims, apparently she would simply throw them over the castle walls for the animals to eat. Hmm. Well, that's nice. She shared. Well, you know, she was pretty high up there. She was a countess. She was related to royally distantly. Royalty. Royalty distantly. (laughs) So, I mean, basically she could get away with it. Nobody's going to say anything. The
1: sadistic... And and a lot of... I don't know the specific histories, but in a lot of places in Europe, they would have two different legal systems. They would have a whole separate court for the nobility and then a whole separate court for people who were not noble, peasants or whatever. And uh, if you were a peasant, good luck, buddy. If you were a nobleman... Or, I born, yeah. or noble lady, then you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. Like,
0: well, especially if it was just to peasants and servants. I mean, who are they? Right.
1: They were not even real people back then. They were just peasants and servants.
0: Yeah. You know, she would start by like finding some small, you know, issue with the servant that they'd done incorrectly, like missing a stitch or something. And then basically she would, she would torture them after that. Dang. Yeah, she was really crazy.
1: That's a rough job.
0: So finally, she started choosing girls from nobler families. And when she decided to do that, then they caught her and they tried her. And of course, her servants were executed because of this dual court system you were just discussing. Her servants were executed? Uh, the servants who were involved. I mean, she couldn't have done such an elaborate thing over such a long period of time involving without so any many people there. without any help
1: oh i see okay
0: so the people who were involved i think there were four or five women who were implicated and they were immediately executed and they actually implicated each other you know it was one of those situations where they i think they were hoping to get off they're like oh yeah she did this can i can <laughs> oh, i, and I and they they let me go fingers, you know yeah. but,
2: but no that's a real murder manner for you <laughs> right there yeah game theory
1: yo
0: so Bathory was just confined to a small portion of her castle. They like walled it off so she can only wander into, you know, certain rooms. And then they would pass food through a small slot in the uh, castle door. And that was, that was it. That was her life uh, for four years until she died.
1: Well, that's justice for you. Behead, yeah. Behead the servants, house arrest for the person who's really doing the bad stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's what I have on her because I, I just didn't want to read anymore
1: yeah we don't need all the gory details but the important thing is that the the story is we don't know for sure but it does bear a lot of resemblance to the modern vampire
0: yes that's very that's very true with, with the exception of she didn't have any fangs
1: yeah no fangs no but fangs. they're you know consuming and or bathing in blood for i mean it's it's uh pretty obvious
0: yeah i i agree and i wanted to talk about one more thing And that is the story Carmilla, which was written in 1872. It was a gothic novella by Sheraton Le Fanu that predated Dracula by about 26 years and featured a female vampire.
1: A spicy female vampire.
0: Uh, So here's the thing. I thought it would be fun to read the story, but it was a little long and I didn't have a lot of time. So I put it on an audiobook instead and I was listening to it. And I got to say, even by today's standards, it was a little raunchy.
1: Well, we didn't invent the raunch. You know this, right?
0: I know, but for Victorian times?
1: Well, I don't know. I think if you go throughout history, there's kind of always been raunch. Like I took, uh, for example, I took a a music appreciation class in college. One of the songs we, um, we listened to was Fair Phyllis by John Farmer. Um, let me let me look up exactly when this was written because I don't remember exactly. Uh, like early day shock, shock value. Okay, so this was uh, written in 1599, so 16 1600, right about when uh, monody came about. See, hey man, I studied my stuff. But anyways, um, the lyrics are something like, uh, uh, "Fair Phyllis, she was sitting all alone, feeding her flock on the countryside. The shepherd knew not whither she was gone." Um, but up and down her lover, I uh, forget his name looked for her or whatever. But for example, when they, they do a certain musical thing with the words up and down where they repeat it over and over again. So they're singing up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, <laughs> up and down, up and down, up and down. It's, uh, pretty raunchy. So if you guys want to hear some like really old school raunchy stuff, look up Fair Phyllis by John Farmer. It's, it's a, it's actually a pretty good song, but anyways, um, yeah, so that doesn't surprise me that there were raunchy stories from back then, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're saying
0: up and down is raunchy. I'm saying quotes like, but to die as lovers may, to die together so they may live together. I have been in love with no one and never shall unless it shall be with you. So a lot of lesbian, not only undertones, but just blatant, right out there. Uh-huh. You know, an original lesbian novel. With gloating uh-huh. eyes, she drew me to her and her hot lips traveled along my cheek in kisses.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's <laughs> that's like a little more poetic than just up and down.
0: Yeah, I guess. But like, <laughs> you would find that in a modern novel, that kind of romantic poeticism.
1: Anyways, I mean, up and down is pretty damn crude, you know? Okay. In my, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of similarities between Dracula and... And Carmilla, the narrative takes place from the victim's perspective. It takes place in this dark, gothic castle, and Carmilla is a countess. And in the end, there's a vampire hunter who drives a stake and beheads her uh, to finish the story. Both Carmilla and Dracula are never seen to eat or drink, sleep late into the day, and they also have similar features. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: So, some argue that, I mean, this was a big influence in as far as Dracula goes.
1: Well, it sounds like there are a lot of
0: similarities. Yeah. And also, uh, Dracula, doesn't he change into a, a dog right. at some point? Like when he gets to London, there's like a shipwreck, and I think he jumps off in the form of a big black dog. And I think it
1: might have been a wolf, but a clo- wolf. Okay. close enough.
0: Well, uh, Carmilla turns into a cat. Okay. That's like the feminine version, right? She also sleeps in a coffin is portrayed to be unholy and her victims are both enthralled and horrified by her presence i mean that sounds a lot like dracula it sounds like a female version of dracula
1: yeah that sounds very very similar
0: so that's all i have on my end that's kind of the history up until dracula
1: all right. So you were worried. We're almost at 45 minutes here.
0: Wow. I talked a lot.
1: Yeah. You had more than you thought you did. <laughs> I'm glad because I'm not a vampire expert. Nor <laughs> She was worried because ETA wasn't going to be on that. We we're going to have enough for the show. I, I was said, like, I don't know. Uh, I only need to have
0: like 20 minutes of material. <laughs> it's like I
1: only got like 300 pages of notes here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's such an interesting topic and there's a lot about it. I didn't know. Some of it I knew. I've actually heard of Carmilla before, but I hadn't listened to the audiobook. I got about halfway through it. Um, And it's funny because you don't really get the idea she's a vampire until like two-thirds of the way through the story. Before that, it's really just a romance novel.
2: Yeah, it sounded like it, too. It definitely has those undertones of just what a romance novel. Uh, Definitely.
1: This is one of those topics like Agent Ether was saying – where when I first started, I was like, ah, this will be, be an easy one. Just, you know, take notes for an hour or two and I'll be ready. But the more I looked into it, the more it just like there's so much depth to the topic. You think vampires, there's not going to be much to it. But like so many of the topics we do, I was surprised at just how much there was. And I, I'm only going to talk about like maybe 10% or less of what I actually read about. Just because there isn't enough time to cover it all. And to be honest, some of it is a little on the dry side and may not be all that interesting to everybody. So we're trying to pare it down here to just just the highlights, really.
0: Yeah, I definitely picked the most interesting things that I found.
1: Yeah. So I'll talk a little yeah, bit. Yeah, took it. Yeah, go ahead, Adrian Kruger. No, I got nothing important. I'm just <laughs> adding on. Okay, I thought you were saying something there. Okay. Oh, hell no. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Dracula or Dracula.
0: I think that's how you pronounce it.
1: Depending on, you know. Slavic. Depending on who's saying it, so this was published. Uh, it was written by Bram Stoker, or as as we used to call him in high school, Bram Stroker. Because I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness! It, once you've heard that, it's hard to not say it that way after you've you know. But anyways, he wrote, or the no, the novel was published in 1897, and mm-hmm. probably most people listening to this are familiar with the story. It's basically what you think of as a vampire. That's Bram Stoker's vampire. Right. But, uh, it, to summarize the story in a very, very, I kind of was thinking about doing an overview, but like, no, nah, it's going to take just way too long. So it's in the public domain and it is on Librivox. You can go, there's multiple people who have recorded it. So go check it out if you're interested. But to summarize, count Dracula does some evil stuff before being defeated by Abraham van Helsing. The, you know the famous vampire hunter? And, uh, Along the way, we get some of the classic vampire stuff like garlic and lunatic asylums and reflections and all that stuff. You know, he has to sleep in earth from his home and, you know, like his castle, he brings it along with him to London or no, it wasn't London. I forget what it was, but it was somewhere in England. But uh, there's also some other things going on in the novel. Like there's a lot of sexual subtext. For example, when the vampires are described as having, they're described as having unnatural appetites which would have been understood at the time as sexually speaking as being homosexual. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, um, that Bram Stoker himself might have been homosexual or at least bisexual.
0: My you know, goodness.
1: For example, he was friends with a lot of people who were known to be homosexual. And there's some correspondence between him and I think Walt Whitman that were a little, uh, little suggestive. So there, there seems to be that subtext on the novel and also some of the stuff like uh, the fangs penetrating victims and things like that. The way it was written and described, it's pretty clearly a metaphor for penetration. And this has led to other interpretations. For example, in the in Count Dracula's castle, there are three women vampires, and the, oh, what's that guy's name at the beginning? I didn't write it down.
0: The male character.
1: Yeah, the male the main character. Um, Hawthorne or uh, Jonathan or I forget his name, but like the, the lawyer guy, right? Uh, he gets seduced by these three women and there's interpretations because the women are piercing him with their fangs. It's sort of, it's like a uh, reversing the roles of sexuality and stuff, but that stuff gets kind of abstract and I'm not sure how much stock you can put into it, but it's still kind of interesting to think about. But uh, as Ether said, this was not the first book or story about vampires, but it's the version that was pretty much adopted ever since it was written. And everything in this book, which which, like I just mentioned, like things like reflections and sunlight and, you know, all, all of the strengths and weaknesses and all that stuff is basically the traits of a vampire. This is by and large, at least in a lot of movies in the United States, this is where we get all of that stuff from. I said movies, but you know, books or whatever. And this was—remember, this is was written in 18, or it was published in 1897. So this has been pretty influential, to say the least, on the the whole vampire mythology. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. So he based. No, yeah. Go sorry, ahead. I
2: believe that that I believe that name you're looking for was Jonathan Harker.
1: Jonathan Harker. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was close. I was close. Close. <laughs> But you know, like they say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. <laughs> but all right, for all you kids who don't know what horseshoes is, that's a game that old people used to play when I was a kid, and I'm I'm an old person now. You basically have two sticks in the ground, and you throw horseshoes at them. It's uh, a <laughs> it's actually a lot more fun than it sounds, believe it or not. But <laughs> no parties. grenades involved, unfortunately. No. So yeah, no, no, no very grenades at all. But it, they say it only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades because if you throw the horseshoe, if it's in within one horseshoe distance of the post, you score a point for that. If the horseshoe is leaning against the post, you get two points. And if you can circle the post with the horseshoe, you get three points. Um, I haven't played this for a very long time. So that's how I remember it. I could be wrong. But anyways, if you're close to the post, you still score a point. So that's, just to explain that to people who probably don't know or care about <laughs> about, about horseshoes, back in the eighteen hundreds, <laughs> yeah.
0: When we played horseshoes, we were just excited to like get the horseshoe on the pole. Like that was our goal as children was just to to get it. We didn't even keep score. We were just excited if one of us, you know.
2: Yeah, see, it makes you think about like what other kids had to go through when they were growing up back in the day. Like you, you remember that poor son of a bitch that had to roll a wheel with a stick. Yeah, <laughs> God, you
1: weren't doing that for fun. <laughs> so Bram Stoker based Dracula on Transylvanian folklore and possibly the historical figures Vlad the Impaler and Elizabeth Bathory, which Agent Ether already talked about. Uh, I won't talk about her. I'll talk a little bit about Vlad the Impaler, but he he did take extensive notes when he was organizing the novel. He had like rough draft and notes and all kinds of stuff that we know about what he was looking at when he was writing the novel. And neither historical figure is mentioned explicitly in his notes, but there are some similarities that are sort of hard to ignore, which we already discussed for Elizabeth Bathory. But let's talk about Vlad the Impaler.
0: Who some say was related to Elizabeth. Really? Yeah, a distant like cousin or something.
1: I was not aware
0: of that. I think it's just, you know, Oh, just sort of
1: internet mythology type stuff
0: i don't know if it's internet mythology or just wishful thinking
1: okay so vlad the impaler also known as vlad the third or vlad dracula yes his last name was dracula (laughs) he lived from 1448 to 1476 approximately the years are a little bit maybe a little bit different but that's a good approximate date he was the leader, or the, I don't know what they call it, um, the president of Wallachia, W-A-L-L-A-C-H-I-A. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but it's now a part of modern-day Romania. His father and eldest brother were murdered during a Hungarian invasion. Well, it said murdered, but I, it's just kind of what happens in war. People die, you know? His second cousin was then given the leadership of Wallachia after that invasion. And, oh, by the way, I'm going like, a, this is like a really, really summarized version of uh, Vlad the Impaler. Super summarized. So, after uh, he was sort of on on the outs, Vlad, he was like an exile, basically. And after a while, he invaded Wallachia, and uh, his cousin was killed during that invasion. He had some enemies that were supported by the Tran- Transylvanian Saxons. So, Vlad invaded them, and he took prisoners back to Wallachia, and he had all of them impaled. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and uh, like like Agent Ether, I just don't like to get that graphic. I like to keep this show light and fun, and just just kind of keep it fun. I don't want people to listen to this and go, "Ooh, I don't want to listen to that," you know. But by impale, uh, the general method was to insert a large pointed stake through the rear end of somebody, and then it would go all the way through their body and out their mouth. And I will just leave it at that. I did so, not know that. Yeah, so it's it's very gross, and uh, we don't want to get too much into all of the nasty things this guy did. Suffice to say, he had a reputation back in the day when everybody was a savage, he had a reputation for being extremely cruel when cruelty was the norm. So anyways, uh, fast forward a little bit. The Ottoman sultan ordered Vlad to pay homage personally or homage or whatever. He wanted... Basically, he wanted Vlad to come in and bow before him and all that stuff, you know, bend to the knee. Vlad said, nah, and he impaled the Sultan's envoys. <laughs> this guy just loved impaling the fuck out of everybody. So and he Vlad, loves
2: Shish kebabs, go figure.
1: Yeah, right. So I guess uh, you know, one thing led to another, and Vlad attacked the Ottoman territory, massacring thousands of Turks and Bulgarians. I didn't see an exact number. It was just thousands, so you know, a lot. Oh,
2: he, yeah, he, he ordered the, you know, mass killing of like twenty thousand Ottomans.
1: Yeah, it was a pretty brutal time, I guess, when that stuff. Oh,
2: oh, yeah, he had a taste for violence, to say the least.
1: Yeah, and this is back in the day when, oh, that was just you know, if somebody invaded, there was a good chance they might just do that sort of thing. It's you know, crazy times, man.
2: Oh, it was terrible. It was like what we, we deem, you know, of course, monstrous and just the worst. But when people back in the day when they were even saying it, it was the worst. I mean, yeah, it's, that's terrible. I feel bad for the people that were subjected to it. But yeah, yeah, it, he has a crazy story. Crazy story.
1: Yeah. Vlad and the, the Ottomans, they fought with each other. Uh, but eventually Vlad was captured and imprisoned by the king of Hungary after he went to ask for help from that king. He was held in prison for over 10 years. He eventually got out. And when he got out, he immediately went to guess what, fight the Ottomans again. I guess this guy really hated the Ottomans <laughs> for whatever reason, who knows, maybe they murdered his parents. I don't know, which, you know, they kind of did. He was, uh, he was known as being extremely cruel. And, uh, that's pretty much just a very short, short version of Vlad the Impaler. But uh, there's, I mean, there's some similarities, not a whole lot of similarities to the novel, but the name and the cruelty is sort of where we get that, how that sort of leads to the novel. But again, Bram Stoker didn't say explicitly that that was an inspiration, but because of his historical uh, infamy and the fact that he used the same name kind of leads a lot of people to believe that Vlad the Impaler was an inspiration for the novel, although other people say that it wasn't and there really isn't any evidence for it. So I guess it's one of those things you just kind of got to make up your mind for yourself. Maybe
0: you just like the name.
2: A guy named Dracula who punctures necks couldn't be related to Vlad the Impaler? No. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, using wooden stakes to kill people. There's nah.
1: Just right, a coincidence. Yeah.
2: No way. And he would die by that own way. One of his preferred (laughs) methods. No. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he did a crazy stuff. Just add on to that. I mean, when he was shortly freed, he invited his rivals and a lot of people that he counted as somebody that would stand in his way to dinner. And at that dinner, I'm not sure if you already touched base on this. He had everyone killed at that dinner. Right. It was insane.
1: No, yeah, I did. I did like the short, was short like, version yeah. because yeah. I didn't want it to go too long on Vlad's story, so I cut out almost everything. <laughs> but he's
2: the best. Yeah, it's he. He definitely, in, like Bram Stoker's, you know, Dracula was you know, totally led me to him and definitely fascinated by his background and stuff. That's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and if you're familiar with Game of Thrones. Like that's kind of like what Vlad the Impaler's to, life yeah. his whole life is basically like Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's red it, weddings every day. Anybody who's even remotely interested in those aspects of history should definitely go read up on Vlad the Impaler because it's a fascinating read, but it's also kind of hard to get through because of all the really horrific things that happened. But it's yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy, pretty crazy period in history getting further along on Dracula here, just to finish it up a little bit. Um, when it was published, some critics gave it bad reviews because it was excessively frightening. (laughs) (laughs) And I've read, I've read Dracula. I've read the, the OG Bram Stover's Dracula whatever. And it was okay. You know, as far as horror goes, but I've read some horror, like I've read a decent amount of horror, not a ton, but, uh, as far as horror goes, I didn't really find it that frightening. It was just kind of a fun story, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. The movie did it worse in my, I mean it, that I know it's not what everybody was going off and what we're talking about here, but the only thing that ever scared me was when he was walking on the the walls and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, subtle horror level.
1: But I, I guess everybody's got stuff that gets them when it comes to horror. Some people are scared by one thing and some another, the I think one of the most horrific stories I've ever read is a short story called Survivor Type in Ooh, uh, by Stephen King by Stephen King and the collection called Skeleton Crew. That one just really got me for some reason, man. That one is uh, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> you should though. <laughs> uh, McDonald's and Big Macs, yeah. Just <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But uh, but anyways. Part of the popularity of Bram Stoker's Dracula was probably because when he published in the United States, so he was, a, I don't think, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but he was over in England. That's where he published. But when he moved, when he published in the United States, he didn't do the proper copyright stuff. So other people were able to like use his intellectual property without actually having to license or pay for it. So for example, if somebody wanted to adapt it to like a stage play or something like that, they were able to do so without having to pay any royalties. So because of this, it got you know pretty widespread um, adoption, pretty much in a lot of different types of media. And it, it was uh, all over the place, and it might not have otherwise been if people had to pay for it. But one, one thing or another, whatever the reason is, uh, it is by far the most popular vampire story, and it's the basis for our modern fictitious vampires you know any movie or anything you see is more or less going to be based on Bram Stoker's Dracula so it's kind of interesting in that aspect
0: as well unless you get into really modern stuff like uh Anne Rice and oh what's the the Twilight series and those what what is is it in Twilight where the vampires sparkle in the sun
1: I'm not really
2: familiar with Twilight at all but yes, Um <laughs> yes, she's right. Okay, <laughs> the one thing I do remember in Haiti, <laughs> you'd see in the trailers and like, oh, they're, sp- <laughs> they're sorry, oh, they're sparkling <laughs> in the sun, you know, get out. Not your traditional
1: vampire. What's what's that dude who's the head vampire in the show? Uh, the, the name of the actor, what's his name? Oh, like? some think. Patterson or something. Oh yeah, the new Batman. Yeah, he's yeah. the new batman though uh, all Go i gotta figure. say dude if i was as good looking as that dude i'd be sparkling too all right that's <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean come on he can't help it it's Edward not his fault Colon. it's not his fault man
2: <laughs> robert pattinson though that's his name
1: all right so moving right along that's the basis of like fictitious vampires but believe it or not there are real vampires some people believe that they're chi vampires or energy vampires, and that they can suck the chi or energy from other people. And not only can they, but they actually need to in order to sustain themselves. So they, these people don't suck blood. Not at least if they do, it's not like for nourishment, like a vampire would. And they they just do it for the the energy other people who maybe sort of might might have ties to, like, Satanism and stuff, they think that they're sucking the life force or soul force on behalf of some god or something, and that they'll be rewarded in some way for doing so. Now, uh, this is sort of like... You, you're like, okay, so take it with a grain of salt, because, you know, he read this on the internet, but I remember when I was younger, I actually met somebody who claimed to be a chief vampire. <laughs> so... Uh, It's out there. I mean, I wouldn't say it's super (laughs) common, but there are people who believe this or at least they, they'll tell you they believe it. You know, there are other people, uh, some, some people who consider themselves to be real vampires and actually drink blood. And they consider chi vampires to be posers, not actual vampires. Other vampires consider themselves to be hybrid and they need blood and chi in order to be satisfied. Uh, they they have specific terms for all this stuff and uh, it gets, I don't know, it gets a little, de- little little bogged down so we won't go into all the terminology and stuff. But uh, yeah, so I was reading, some people think that, uh, that how to steal chi is nothing specific to vampires. It's like, oh, it's easy to do. All you got to do is just imagine energy flowing from another person into yourself. It's that easy to do. And I was like, whoa, well, hold on, dude. I don't like that at all. <laughs> like, I'm feeling really tired today. Maybe some jerk face at the grocery store was sucking my chi. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you have to have
0: spiritual defenses.
1: I guess so. Did we talk
0: about that in our astral projection projection episode? I think so, yeah. Yeah, spiritual barriers.
1: But But to anybody listening to this, I suggest you don't suck people's chi because it's rude.
0: It is rude. Just oh, don't, don't do it.
1: Whether or not you get caught, it's just not the polite thing to do. How are you going to get caught? I don't know. <laughs> well, now, now you
2: can consider trolling as a sucking energy, right? Because it makes you feel a certain way.
1: Well, yeah, actually, I, I, get did. All- <laughs> I was reading discussions on, there was there are forums, and there's actually a subreddit and stuff, too. One person was talking about how um, energy transference and vampirism, its it can be things like trolling, Or it can be somebody who's just really negative and down all the time. And they just sort of suck the energy from the room, you know? And it's like, maybe they're not even doing it intentionally, but they're sort of a chi vampire. So it was, uh, there's, there's different spectrums on this. Like some people think it's sort of just really, you know, explicit sucking energy and that's it. Other people have (laughs) like a more nuanced view of it and there's, a lot of stuff in between. And this is what I mean when I say there's a lot that I left out of the notes, because there's a lot of stuff. This just, it goes way deeper than you might think that it would. Oh yeah. I got to add on though
2: that I get everything from, have you heard of what we do in the shadows though? That one show? No, I haven't. Oh, it's great. It's about three vampires and living in Manhattan and, uh, it's, it's, there's an energy va- vampire there named Colin Robinson, and he's like the most human out of all of them. So he'll go around talking about random stories or just nothing really, just, just suck the energy out of them. And then when he walks <laughs> out of the room, you see his eyes like glow blue, and he's like, oh yeah, he just got like, you know, he just fed right there. And then he go, he specifically works at like one of the worst jobs at like a cubicle job and just like (laughs) it's he just goes around just draining people and it's it's just so funny it's such a good watch (laughs) is it a comedy yes yes very much so all right yeah it's one of those like you know how office was like that docu series comedy type of like there's a camera crew following them and you know that the camera crew is there that's what this is is that there's a camera crew following you know a group of vampires and just watching them live their life so it's it's really funny it's really good to watch that
1: sounds awesome i'm going to have to check that out yeah colin robinson yeah while i was reading about chi and stuff like that i ran across a really fun exercise so you can try this out at home it's perfectly safe i promise at least my hands didn't blow up when i did it so what you do is you place your hands, uh, palms, uh, fingers stretched out or whatever, hands relaxed, fingers relaxed. Place your palms facing each other, about six inches apart, give or take. Now imagine energy forming a ball between your hands, sort of like Dragon Ball Z or whatever, right? And now when when you feel like there's energy flowing out of your hands, out of the palms of your hands, into a ball, now move your hands in just slightly.
0: Ooh, weird. Weird, right?
1: <laughs> so when I do this, I can feel tingling in the palms of my hands and I feel a ball between my hands. It's the craziest thing. <laughs> Isn't
0: that crazy? Yeah, I oh, was just yeah. doing it. That's really nice. That's the
1: craziest thing. Like, I don't know if it's like like psychosomatic or if I'm really making a ball out of my chi or whatever. I don't know what the deal is going on here, but it's, it's really fun. It's kind of
0: like, I think an optical illusion, like you're fooling your brain. Maybe, sensory yeah. Sensory thing. But
1: it's like one of these things where I was reading it on the web page, and I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. Why not? It's always fun to try new things. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that's not supposed to work. This is try supposed to all be bullshit. Now, and then we can fly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I just thought that was really cool. Just a lot of fun to try out. Oh, that's super cool. So I, I thought I'd just throw that in there. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but yeah, there it is. So moving right along, there's a couple of diseases that some people think may have contributed to the mythology of, uh, of vampirism over the years because before modern medical science, if somebody got it like a really bizarre condition, it might be explained through supernatural means rather than, you know, it's like a bacterial infection or whatever. So for example, cutaneous porphy- porphyria. P-O-R-P-H-Y-R-I-A-S. How would you say that, Agent Ether?
0: I wasn't paying attention.
1: Porphyrious? Okay, we'll say cutaneous porphyrious. It's a disease related to like the chemicals in your blood. And it causes extreme sensitivity to sunlight. It can make a person feel like their skin is burning in the sunlight. And it can cause blisters, fragile skin, change the skin color to like purple, and it can cause excessive hair growth on the skin that's been exposed to sunlight. The person's gums can recede in extreme cases, exposing their teeth. And people can also lose their ears and nose, giving them like a, a monstrous appearance.
0: This sounds like a terrible disease. Oh, it sounds that sounds yeah.
1: like what happens to me when I walk into a church. Just kidding. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> so it it's, I mean, so some people think that this could be part of the root of, you know, the mythology of vampires. Other people say there isn't really any good evidence for it, which, you know, there's not really any documented evidence, but the way this disease works, it would require like knowledge of chemistry to diagnose it. So even if they had some rudimentary science, you know, even like in the 1800s, there's no way they would know that this was what what caused this. So it's likely that people might have uh, said it was from supernatural causes rather than a natural cause. There's another one that's very similar, called erythropo, uh, poetic, erythropoietic e r y t h r o p o i e t i c erythro oh, yeah. uh, erythropoietic porphyria p r proto proto Protoporphia. Why are I... I really got to start learning how to pronounce this stuff ahead of you time. You know what I do? What?
0: I go on Google and I go to like pronunciation and then I play it a couple times to see how to pronounce things.
1: Yeah, that's what I should do. Man, these ones are pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Latin or something.
0: And I'll write it down like phonetically.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. But anyways, this is very similar and it can cause damage to the skin even with mild uh, uh, mild exposure to sunlight. And here's a quote from the uh, good old Wikipedia. It usually presents in childhood with the most common mode of presentation as acute photosensitivity of the skin. It affects areas exposed to the sun and tends to be intractable. A few minutes of exposure to the sun induces itching, rashes, swelling, and pain. Longer periods of exposure may induce second-degree burns. After repetitive exposure, patients may present with lichenification hypopigmentation and hyperpigmentation and scarring of the skin and i do not suggest that you google lichen lich, lichenification hypo or hyperpigmentation cuz it's pretty damn gross looking but it makes people people with lichen especially with lichenification it basically makes them look like uh, like a mummy or something like their skin looks all dried out and like like weird and uh, you you can actually look for pictures of this online if you want. And if you saw somebody like this walking around in your village a couple hundred years ago, you would absolutely believe that there was something strange going on and that, you know, that they were probably evil or, or undead or something. And
0: stake them through the heart.
1: Yeah. And even though this is a very, these two things I just mentioned, there's a couple other ones that are sort of in the ballpark, but uh, they're very rare But the idea is that in certain isolated villages that had, um, you know, I guess the family tree wouldn't branch quite as much. So it's more likely that you'd have more problems like this is sort of the idea, but there's no way of proving it, but it does have certain similarities to, uh, the, the mythology of vampires. So there's also people who actually drink blood in modern, modern times I don't know what to call it exactly, but these people have maybe a mysterious medical condition. It could be a psychological thing. But the more I read up on it, I, you know, at first you think, oh, it's just a bunch of people who are just, uh, you know, they're making it up or, you know, they're, they're just having fun or taking the piss as you might say, if you're in England. Uh, but the more I read up on it, the more I started to think that these people are actually being genuine. I think some of these people really believe that they need to drink blood uh, to to feel good. So they they actually Hmm. have like support groups. They have organizations and there's websites and forums you can go to. For example, one of them, there's one called the new Orleans vampire association or Nova for short. And they have a website. Yeah. (laughs) And on their website, you can, uh, you can go look at their website. They have a quote on the, the front page. It says, The New Orleans Vampire Association is a non-profit organization comprised of self-identifying vampires representing an alliance between houses within the community in the greater New Orleans area. Founded in 2005, NOVA was established to provide support and structure for the vampire and other kin subcultures and to provide educational and charitable outreach to those in need. And we won't get into other Ken subcultures in this episode because that's a whole other rabbit hole. I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll tell you what. But in short, it's people who believe that they might be. uh, Some of it is sort of like werewolves, you know, like they might be part animal and others like they think that they're not entirely human. But that, like I said, that's a whole other rabbit hole. So we'll go ahead and not discuss that at this particular point in time. You don't feel like that Wait a hold on. You don't feel like that sometimes, though? Uh yeah, you sometimes like when a, I
2: haven't a, showered for a few days, you know.
0: I heard people <laughs> with with green eyes are hybrid. They're extraterrestrial. Oh, that's good Or checks people out. with yeah. gray
2: circles around their eyes, their mm-hmm. irises.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I have gray irises.
0: Oh, well, that's a dragon. a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, according to some extremely sketchy articles that I found on the internet, there are at least <laughs> 5,000 self-identifying vampires in the United States. The symptoms appear around puberty for most people. They'll feel drained or lack lack energy for no identifiable reason. At some point, they discover accidentally by ingesting blood or maybe eating like a really bloody raw steak or something that the blood revitalizes them. And it doesn't always happen during puberty. It could happen at any point in somebody's life, sometimes much, much later, sometimes much earlier. But they call this the awakening meaning that they're now aware of their need for blood. Uh, Some Hmm. claim that they need the blood to survive. Others claim that they only need it to feel normal and they can get by without it. Uh, It's sort of like a really interesting subculture. And there are people who are willing to donate blood for these vampires, either for free, for money or sexual favors. And there's sort of like this subtext, like they didn't talk about it a lot on the forums, But it appears to be, there appears to be like this whole, like sort of S&M subtext to the whole thing. But I don't know how much of that is actually there or how much I'm reading into it. But it doesn't seem to be nothing. There definitely seems to be a little bit of that going on at the very least. So the vampires that I read who were talking, they said that when they tried to stop drinking blood, they get like medical problems, sort of like a drug withdrawal, right? Like they feel Pretty crappy, and then you know they they have no energy and they can't get out of bed and that kind of stuff until they can get a little bit of blood. They don't have any of the mythical powers of vampires, they just ingest blood. Um, You know, they can't make other people into vampires, they can see themselves in the mirrors, they cannot levitate or turn into animals or whatever. They're just normal people who have the need to drink blood. And this started to get me thinking if these people are being genuine. What if this is some incredibly rare medical condition that just hasn't been identified or diagnosed yet, and these people really do need to drink blood? On the other hand, there's the possibility that it could be like a psychological thing, right? But it seems, at the very least, it seems like a lot of these people are being genuine, and it does seem plausible one way or another that these people need to drink blood, as gross as that might seem (laughs) to most of us. Gross as hell. (laughs) but they they report people report needing anywhere from a teaspoon of blood to a pint of blood a week depending on you know their own personal needs i suppose
0: does it have to be human blood
1: uh not specifically some people will drink animal blood but they that. they note that drinking animal blood is a lot more dangerous because there can be like bloodborne you know pathogens or parasites that will not be present in human blood, and I found actually found a website where you can volunteer to be a donor, and they have like maps and everything. You could look up vampires in your area, and you could hook up with them and give them your blood, and they require like meta like a you know VD test or STD test or whatever they're calling it nowadays. And uh, so it, you can't. It's harder to do that with like an animal. If you just catch a deer in the wild and drink its blood. Who knows what that thing has, you know?
0: Lyme disease.
1: Yeah, Lyme disease. You Probably, if you catch a deer, you're probably better off cooking it, you know, not drinking its raw blood. But a person, it's probably a lot less likely to have some rare disease that they don't know about. And unless you're a complete fucking asshole, you're not going to volunteer to donate your blood if you know that you have a disease, right?
0: One would hope. One would hope, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So there's a couple of other things I found. So there's something called Heliophobia and that's the fear of the sun, sunlight, or any bright light. It's a phobia where light can cause anxiety or, well, a phobia in general can cause anxiety or panic attacks. And as part of this, sufferers can feel itching, burning, or pain when exposed to sunlight. This can be caused by other physical disorders, like what I've already discussed, or it can be caused by um, by past experiences like an extreme uh, sunburn. Or maybe by extreme uh, eye sensitivity to the light, which I guess is another disorder. Well, there's a couple of them, but one of them is called uh, uh, keratoconus, K-E-R-A-T-O-C-A-C-O-N-U-S, keratoconus, which uh, that, that can be linked to the phobia because it creates like the anticipation of pain, which causes the fear. So I suppose if there was somebody in your village who refused to go out in the sunlight for one reason or another... You, that might be related to part of the mythology, right? You know, because they're vampires. Bad stuff happens to them in the sunlight. They don't want to go out in the sunlight. So I found I feel like another I've seen little tip. Yeah, go ahead, Agent Kruger.
2: No, I apologize. I was just saying, I've seen that more. Is it <laughs> typically with people in like giant sun hats and like long sleeve clothes and gloves when they're uh, being wheeled around in a blanket, basically? I've seen that more times than none, that's for sure.
1: Right, and that might be an oh, actual that's that same person. That might be an actual medical condition rather than a phobia, which would be like a psychological oh, condition. I, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess I guess the point I was trying to say at the end there was that the psychological condition can actually be due to an actual physical condition, so they can kind of go hand in hand. So I found, <laughs> googling around, I found something that sounded kind of interesting. It's called a vampire facial. This is where blood is extracted. Ew. And separated <laughs> in, a, in a centrifuge, then they use the—I don't know exactly what they use—but sort of like um, like what they use to tattoo people, maybe. But it's not supposed to be painful. But they basically puncture the skin with like little micro needles, and then I guess the platelets from the blood are injected into the area, and it's supposed to like kind of be helpful in some way. I guess. I, I think don't know. it's
0: a cosmetic thing. I believe I heard a coworker talking about it. Really? Yeah.
1: Did this coworker actually get it done?
0: They weren't t- So they were talking about in the break room. And when I came in, I heard the term and then they're like, don't tell anyone about this. And then they like left.
1: Hmm. If you, if you've ever seen like a video of somebody getting like a, a facial or I don't know what they call it, but like, um, plastic surgery, it's pretty damn gross looking. Like they, they cut off mm. part of your skin and then they stretch your face out basically. Oh, uh. it's ugh, so gross. And I, I don't like to watch this kind of stuff, but I've seen it before flipping through channels. You know, it'll be like on a cable TV channel, like, oh my God, why they should, they should have to put a warning before you flip to that channel. It's the worst, man. Those surgery channels just, uh, I don't, I I am not cut out to be a surgeon. I'll just tell you that much. Not at all. But anyways, I like the idea. They can use your own blood and just sort of put it in your face and then it makes you look younger. How awesome would that be? Totally awesome. That would
0: make sense why they called it a vampire <laughs> facial then. Right.
1: That'd be pretty Re- cool.
0: Revitalizing yourself. It does blood. make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right. So I found a couple of murders that uh, they were pretending or thought they were vampires throughout the years. There's actually quite a lot of them. So I'll just go over a handful of them. And uh, so Fritz Harmon, a serial killer who killed his victims by biting their necks and other parts of their body, killed about two dozen people. This is in Germany.
0: Just by biting them. Yeah. No weapons were involved.
1: Well, I don't know. I I didn't read that much into it because at this point I was running out of time, (laughs) if I'm being honest. But he he killed a lot of people and um, he was actually executed by beheading on April 15th, 1925. Which is appropriate. Yeah, because who knows? Maybe he was a vampire. I don't know. And his head was preserved in a jar. Uh and his is to this day is kept at a medical school in Gottingen, Germany. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, if you want to see a real vampire head, travel over to Germany and check it out, I guess. In 1932, there was a strange case where the Atlas the so-called Atlas vampire, who's an unknown person, committed the vampire murder in Stockholm, Sweden. That's what it's known by. It's known as this the vampire murder in Stockholm, Sweden, if you guys want to Google this. So on May 4th uh, of 1932, a 32-year-old prostitute named Lily Linderstrom was found dead in her apartment in the Atlas area of Stockholm. She was found face down on her bed and drained of all her blood. A gravy ladle was found at the scene, which police and some people believe was used to drink the blood, or maybe put it in a container to be transported elsewhere but uh popularly a lot of people thought that her blood was drinking and if you think about how much blood is in a person i don't know how much it is but exactly but it's probably more than you're going to drink in one sitting right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: agent ether do you have any uh, insight on this no No. it's gross (laughs) all right well yeah more more than you ought to be drinking
2: all right moving right ahead to the next one
0: I'm craving
2: like, a steak now. I'm sorry. I just have to mention that. Now I'm craving a <laughs> steak with all this talk. I'm I'm getting hungry.
1: <laughs> uh, Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento, killed six people and drank their blood in 1977 and 78. He was eventually sentenced to death, but he committed suicide before he could be executed. In 1996, Roderick Farrell murdered his girlfriend's parents so that he could initiate her into his coven. Upon capture, he told police that he couldn't be contained because he was a 500-year-old vampire. Of course, he was wrong, and he is serving a life, a life sentence behind bars. <laughs> and in 2011, Josephine Smith attacked a homeless man in an abandoned Hooters. She bit pieces off of his face and arms before he was able to escape and call police. During the attack, she told the man that she was a vampire, but afterwards claimed to have no memory of the incident.
0: Sounds like somebody's doing too much of something. Yeah, I don't
1: know, man. But that's just the highlights. There's actually quite a a surprising and alarming number of vampire attacks over the years that you can find if you want to Google it. But yeah, there are apparently people claiming to be vampires and killing people and drinking their blood out there, which is a little surprising. Uh, Dicks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the best way to summarize it, right? Uh, So the last thing I have is, I found this little tidbit, some vampire math. And uh, this is, you know, some people who are physicists or scientists, they like to be party poopers. So in 2006, a physics professor wrote a paper arguing it was impossible for there to be vampires if they fed once a month, and each victim also became a vampire. If this was the case... The entire human race would be vampires within two and a half years.
0: (laughs) I'd like to point out that you don't sire a vampire just because you drink their blood, though.
1: Well, it depends on the mythology we're talking about. Some stories, a vampire is created just by the fact that it's been fed upon. Or whenever a vampire feeds on a victim, that spreads the vampirism to that person.
0: Not in Buffy.
1: No. In a lot of stories, it's not like that. But... For this particular paper, that was the case used used to come to this conclusion.
0: (laughs) I call balderdash.
1: Yeah, I call balderdash Balderdash. too. You can't ruin my movies, you stupid (laughs) physics professor. (laughs)
2: Mulpucky and balderdash.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, that's, I mean, that's all I had on vampires. Like I said, this is a topic that actually, surprisingly, you can go really, really deep down the rabbit hole on whether it's checking out the communities, the, the modern communities of people who believe that they have to drink blood to survive or people who believe they have to steal energy from people or people who believe they have to do both or the mythology of it or whatever. Like, it really, there is no end to this topic. Literally, we could do an entire separate podcast just on vampires. It's It really goes that deep, which I found surprising. I was expecting basically just to look into, okay, it's all based on, Bram Stoker's Dracula and some mythology from Eastern Europe. That's all all I thought there was going to be to it. But no, it goes much, much further than that. Final thoughts? Um, uh, um, Other agents?
0: Uh, My final thought is I was surprised by the romanticism behind the whole vampire lore. And it didn't come out of Eastern Europe, that's for sure. But once it started leaking into fiction, once the vampire folklore became fiction from the very beginning... It was romanticized. And I thought that was something that started with Anne Rice, but apparently she just popularized it. So I found that very interesting.
1: Right. So apparently, um, the vampires have been sexy from the very beginning. Who knew? And with, with all the symbolism of like piercing with the, you know, penetrating with the fangs and it's kind of built in if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts, agent Kruger?
2: Oh, nothing. Uh, not much. Uh, stay away from drinking blood. Um if you do drink blood and you listen to us, you know, no no judgments here. Um but I would probably not do that myself. I, yeah, never. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not shaming anybody and and like I said, uh for one reason or another, these these people some of them do seem genuine, you know. So, awesome. Oh, yeah. And
2: they, those are the – that's the, always the weirdest thing too is maybe that's how they want – they they are too is that they are so nice and this and that that it, it lowers your guard, you know? And then you're more susceptible to the, being asked to suck your blood. So.
0: And the cheese stealing. <laughs>
2: right. W- Hey, I mean, there's other vampires too that we actually didn't even get to get into. So, the other breeds and whatnot. I mean, we have the Chinese. All right, you guys might have touched base on it on the jumping vampire, mm-hmm. right? The Chinese jumping vampire. No, no we did
0: not.
1: Uh, we no, we did not talk about that. We mentioned that oh, other cultures besides Western cultures had vampire like beings, but we didn't really t- we didn't get more get specific than yeah. that.
2: Man, I kind of let you down on that one. I should have brought a bunch of a list of the breeds of vampire. Other than just the energy vampires and such, but other cultural vampires. Japanese have them, Chinese have them.
1: Everybody's got them. Yeah, I mean, we could do that in, in other episodes. I mean, there's there's all sorts of really interesting mythological creatures in, in other cultures. Like, I think Japan has one where, um, I forget what it's called, but it has like a bowl on its head with like water in it or something and if if uh, if it spills the water then it dies. I forget I forget what that one's called, but There's all sorts of really interesting mythologies around the world, and I'm sure we'll get to some of them sooner or later. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the one vampire that's called
2: like the, the Bugalo or Bugala or I don't, I forget. He's like really pale white. He's a wide frame, and he has like black, like very pale face, but his like lips are black and his eyes are black, and he's just he always wears a top hat. You guys know what I'm talking about by chance? No idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but keep talking.
1: No. But, oh yeah. Okay. So I'm Yak crazy. Yak says in the live chat that uh, the Japanese one is the kappa. The kappa. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. But yes, the, the oh, point was I was talking
2: a, about the Chinese one.
1: A lot of interesting one. A lot of interesting mythologies out there. And who knows? Maybe there are modern day people who have to have uh, water on their head <laughs> or that with, vampire be capping. It's a kappa. Uh-huh. I don't think the Kappa oh, has anything God, to do might. with vampires. It's just um, it's just a mythological creature.
0: And I just want to give a shout out to all six of our live listeners.
1: Heck yeah, we got more this week. We're, we just started recently. You're the goats, you're the real ones. It's not well known, but we just started recently doing uh, live shows on Discord. So if you'd like to listen to us live, come check us out on Discord and you get to hear all the wonderful things that I normally edit out of the show. <laughs> like, for example, me stuttering or... Ah, agent ETA farting into the mic. <laughs> so, usually it's a lot of ETA getting edited out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Usually nice it's be honest here. 80% of the edits are ETA for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, thanks for listening and huge shout out. Let's see, who do we got in the chat this or in the, the live show this week? We have, um, let's see, Olivia, Yak, Acid Raindrops, Mashuka, Gweezy, and Marv. Thanks for showing up and checking out our live show. We love having you. It's, you know, I got to admit, people had been requesting, hey, you guys going to do a live show, you know, I get that from time to time. You're like, yeah, sure, whatever. But it's actually a lot of fun to have a live audience. It's hard to describe, but it's sort of a little bit different than recording when, I guess, without the live audience, you feel like you're just sort of talking into the void, you know, or talking to yourself to an extent.
0: I feel like I'm talking to you. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, true, <laughs> but it just makes it a little more interesting uh, when you have when you have an actual audience. So I appreciate you guys for showing up. We love having you guys here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I, I guess that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by suggesting us to your friends and or social media groups.
0: Keep it strange.